On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. It was pretty late in the night on Friday night. In fact, it was pretty early in the morning by our time zone on Saturday morning when the House of Representatives in Washington finally elected a speaker. The Republican Congressman Kevin McCarthy from California became speaker on the 15th ballot after a few Republican holdouts managed to stall the process for four days and posed the prospect of going into the weekend without a fully functioning uh, legislature in Washington, D.C. Paul Brandis is a longtime Washington correspondent and author. Uh, you'll find him on Twitter at West Wing Report. Uh, longtime admirer, Paul, so delighted to have you on the programme today. Um, there's two ways of looking at what went on in the House over the last couple of days. You could say that this is a sign of an incoherent and inconsistent, ungovernable party which now holds the levers of power in the House and that this is a sign of, of bad things to come. Or you could say that this is simply just democracy playing out in a forum more public than it usually would, not in the smoke-filled rooms of the back rooms where you'd usually have all these things hammered out. Which side do you come down on? Well, I think there's a little bit of uh, truth in all of that, uh Gavin. Good afternoon, by the way. You know, it it is true that we saw all of this uh, play out in real time on uh, television. We don't uh, hide our flaws here, and we certainly have them. It could be, though, also, as you say, a harbinger of kind of a difficult times to come because you have this hardcore group of about uh, 20 far-right Republicans who really gummed up the works here, 15 votes it took for Kevin McCarthy to win this speaker election. That really hasn't happened in more than a, a century, just uh, unprecedented, uh, frankly. And now that they, they got what they want in getting him to make all these concessions, they're not going to stop uh, arguing for even more concessions. They're going to argue for uh, probably uh, big budget cuts that could hold up Uh, future budgets lead to a possible, then this is one of the big fears, could lead to a possible default of the federal debt in a couple of months, which could have all kinds of troubles for a sort of global financial market. So there are all kinds of Mm. uh, concerns here, but uh, it's all of the above, frankly. Yeah, it it is the global impact, which I think justifies us talking about this, because some people might wonder why we're talking about the minutiae of one American uh, House of Congress. But I mean, this is the the ongoing knock-on global effects of all of this. Um, I was going to ask you whether you thought that the the 20 had been somewhat mollified by the concessions that they won from Kevin McCarthy, but obviously you don't think this is the end of them being an awkward squad. You think this is just the beginning of this caucus flexing its might. I do. I don't think they're mollified at all. I think they realize that uh, being stubborn and uh, did, you know drawing this so-called line in the sand, I think it worked. They got what they want. Again, they got these concessions. So why should they, successful tactic, why should they abandon it uh, now? So again, I think they're going to keep on pushing him for all of these demands. I mean, the irony is that he made so many concessions to win these votes. He wound up weakening himself while strengthening the hardliner. So no, they're not going to give up. I think they're going to uh, keep on pushing and pushing. Uh, so to what degree then is he weakened? If, if these are concessions that he has had to make that no other speaker, at least publicly, has ever had to concede in order to be given the gavel, um, does this in a way make him the weakest speaker ever? And if so, then what does that mean for how the House is going to run for the next two years? Well, I think in modern times, he's certainly the weakest ever. But if you remember the last two Republican House speakers uh, were guys named John Boehner about a decade ago, and Mm. then another guy named Paul Ryan. Each of them were run out of town by these hardliners. They simply could not control them. They wound up just just leaving out of uh, frustration, deciding not to run for re-election and whatnot. 
uh, I think that uh, McCarthy is in even weaker position than them. But, you know, if you're listening to all of this in Ireland and saying, look, what does this mean? It means that, uh, you know, there's not going to be a lot of legislation coming out of this uh, House. What gets through is going to be, you know, again, these Republicans flexing their muscles. But then on the Senate side, which is still controlled by the Democrats, and you've got President Biden in the White House for at least the next two years with his uh, veto pen, uh, they can shoot down anything that these Republicans do. So all this suggests a lot of gridlock over the next uh, two years. And one thing that I think is of particular concern to people in Europe is that one thing that some of these hardliners want, I mentioned these steep budget cuts, that could possibly include uh, defense cuts, which is a big deal because we're giving so much aid to Ukraine, for example. What's going to happen with that? We're also beefing up because of these concerns about a, a, you know, the belligerence by China. Uh, North Korea is a problem. All of these things on the global stage. So if you start talking about cutting defense, boy, these people around the world, China and uh, Putin, and my, they're looking at all this and saying, gosh, what does it mean when these Americans go wobbly on defense and if it, that happens? And is defense something which could genuinely be cut? Because it always seems from this part of the world as something of a sacred cow, that no matter how much calls there are for Washington to restrain its spending, that it always seemed previously like defense was the one area that it would never cut. Well, relative to inflation and relative to the size of this you know, huge U.S. economy, defense spending has actually, you know, lagged in recent years. I mean, we're well, well, you know, after the Cold War, of course, there was a long decline, uh, again, relative to the size of the economy. So it's actually in terms of, you know, it's not nearly what it used to be, again, in relative terms. But the problem is now for all of the problems that I mentioned, these Republicans want to go back to at least 2021 or 2022 uh, levels, which would imply about, what, $75, $80 billion in cuts. That's about 10% of the current uh, defense budget. So, you know, how are we going to cut 10% of the, the Pentagon budget while trying to help Ukraine and while trying to beef up against uh, China? Pretty hard to uh, kind of uh, square that circle. Yeah, we'll discuss more about the situation in Ukraine with Vesia Vasilenko, a pro-European MP, uh, in just a moment. Um, going back to the, the the possible gridlock that we might now see for the next two years, given that we still will have for the next two years a Senate controlled by the Democrats and indeed, of course, the White House controlled by Democrats as well, mm. Is there any prospect of Kevin McCarthy deciding to, you know, take his 222 votes and, and disregarding the 20 hardliners that have made life so difficult in the last week? Is there a prospect that he might find it easier to get stuff done if he works with the 212 Democrats to secure an overwhelming majority to cross the aisle in ways that might not previously have been done if that's what's going to get things over the line? Or is the situation and the environment in Washington now so partisan and toxic that it makes more sense for McCarthy to deal with his own awkward squad? than to deal with the guys on the other side of the aisle? Well, I think that's a real possibility, actually. These 20 hardcore Republicans uh, really angered so many people. There's talk, for example, I think that's a really good point, that a lot of the power could now actually be with the centrists in the Republican Party, if there is such a thing. Mm. People who are no, not hardcore on the right, but uh, a little more moderate, a little more reasonable, uh, that kind of thing. It's a much bigger group of people. Uh, if, if McCarthy were to combine them 
with Democrats on certain bits of legislation, it's entirely possible that he could kind of, you know, move, get around these hardcore guys and get things done. So that is, in fact, a real possibility. In his uh, speech the other night, middle of the night after he won uh, the speaker's gavel, McCarthy said, look, it is not party first. It's country first, which is a nice thing to say. We'll see and whether he actually yeah. uh, you know means it or not. Yeah, and we'll see exactly how easy it is to try and reach across the aisle when, of course, there is a presidential election in the primary season kicking yep. off in about 12 months' time. Uh, Paul Brandis, we will leave it there. Thank you very much for joining us this lunchtime or morning where you are uh, from Washington, D.C. Paul Brandis, a uh, long-standing uh, Washington correspondent and author. You'll find all of his work online at westwingreports.com. If you have links to uh, all of his various books there as well. On the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.